Patriots has a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth. So, buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not going to stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah... Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people on RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night, the 5th of December already. Welcome to it. Hello, Diane. Hello, Craig, and how are you today? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. It's, you know, it's Tuesday, and there's there seems to be a lot going on. I think we're stuck in, an, in a groundhog-type day situation. <laughs> you know, it's been that way all year, when you think about it. I mean... We've probably had three or I, I'd say on the outside, I'd say four um, just seemingly endless loops of news cycles. Yes. You know, and we're in one it, again. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you would think with everything that's coming up in, in the short term, um, you know, primaries and the the campaigns and all this kind of stuff, you would think that the news cycle, the 24-7 news cycle, would really be changing, but it's not. It's not. Um, we have important things that we have to worry about. Israel-Hamas war, the upcoming presidential election, Um, COVID is rearing its head again. You know, uh, you turn on the TV, get your latest COVID booster nonsense. Um, Can I I just say something about that? You're right. You know, this, this, you, you turn on the TV now and you get in that, that COVID booster nonsense. And just when I thought things were going to settle down because all that stuff about checking your Medicare and Medicaid payments ends, in a couple of days, and I'm getting so tired of those commercials, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those are going to end just in time for the COVID booster commercials to kick in. Yeah. I mean, um, you walk into Walgreens for anything. You don't even go near the pharmacy department. You go in for something else. Are you here to get your next booster along with your flu shot and your RSV shot and all this kind of stuff? I just look at them and say, I am unvaxxed, proud of it, and never had COVID. Leave me alone. You you know how you know the COVID booster shots are worthless? 
Because the people getting COVID are the ones who have the shots. No, it's because it's the only thing at Walgreens nobody is stealing. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) that's funny. You know, people, people run into these Walgreens. You see it on the news every night. People running into Walgreens, making off with about $900 worth of crap. Not one single booster shot do they steal. Not one. Ah, okay. That's how you know they're they're worthless. Wow. Wow, very true. Yeah. Um, hey, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but before we get into it, we want to let people know this Friday night, we're going to have a very special guest on the show for the entire hour. Yes. And this is, he's a friend of our show. He's a personal friend of ours. And surprise, surprise, folks, he's a pro-Israel Palestinian, Muda Zahran, the head of the Jordanian coalition opposition. He's going to join us at the top of the show and be with us for the entire show on Friday. We're going to get the inside scoop on what's really going on over there. Plus, He told us a few nights ago when we were chatting back and forth with him a little bit that he's got some verifiable insight into China's role in that war. Yes. So that's going to be very interesting. That's going to be a show you don't want to miss. Yes, and and to show you the character of this man, two of his relatives, Palestinians, are fighting with israel yeah so i'm telling you folks this friday night show is a do not miss show yes different insight from a different perspective but with the right perspective and you you turn on any media source you want i don't care if it's newsmax or fox news or you know it, it doesn't matter you know which one it is they might have somebody on that can give you some insight but they won't have them on for more than five minutes right we're going to spend the entire hour with mudar zakran yes so we're looking forward to that it's been too long since we've had mudar on the show so it's going to be good to have him back yes it is all right Let's get into some of these topics for tonight. Diane, you're going to be covering, excuse me, Israel fighting a virtuous war. And I'm going to be covering arrogance, ignorance, and anti-Semitism. But let's start tonight with Elon Musk, who has issued yet another warning about AI, artificial intelligence. Yes, and this has to do with the possibility that AI can actually destroy a human colony on Mars. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic and something that's very close to Elon Musk because that's one of his main goals is to begin to colonize Mars. And it just came out a couple of days ago that AI could actually be used to do all the chemical comp. what do I want to say? Computer work on on the mm-hmm. chemical compositions that are found on Mars to be able to figure out a way to produce oxygen for a colony on Mars. However, if things go too far with AI, it could actually destroy a human colony on that planet. It's interesting because at this point, the technology or AI to take over and destroy such a a colony 
hasn't been invented yet, but at the rate AI is progressing, it could be soon. Right, and and basically, this has to do with AI looking at a blank slate because we have not gone into this territory yet and creating something from a blank slate that we don't really know will work or won't work. So what Elon Musk is calling for, and I agree with him on this, it needs AI, needs some kind of regulatory authority or something, he said, something that would oversee AI development and making sure it's operating within the public interest, not within its own interest. Yeah, and and this goes even further than the whole Mars colony thing. Elon is actually warning that because of AI in the future, it may wipe out the need for anybody to actually have a job. Yeah, you know, because what's happening is we humans at this point are starting to get a little too integrated into AI. Right. And that, that's not a that's not a good thing folks. We have to be above AI on the pecking order, not below it. And and there is the challenge right there because AI has the potential to always be the smartest entity in any room. Right. And, and that's very dangerous. It's it's very dangerous. We've seen the movies, right? We've seen 2001 mm-hmm. with, with the HAL 9000. We've seen the Terminator movies, you know, and it's easy at this point to say, yeah, but that's all fantasy and not science not. fiction. It's not. You know, right. you have to look at those things as uh, foreshadowing of a potential future. And as AI continues to grow and expand, right now, at one of the most rapid paces of any technology we've ever seen, what is the future of AI and how do humans control it? Right. Um, What Elon Musk calls it is runaway AI. And he said that's a problem that we have to deal with. It's a problem we must deal with because artificial intelligence also remember still needs at this stage human programming but there's going to come a time when ai does its own programming yeah, and you we've, can run into some very dangerous situations with that we've seen that too in the movies too many times star trek the motion picture v'ger mm-hmm. you know <laughs> Hey, the Borg, the Borg from the the next generation. Can I just, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Borg. Can I just bring up something about that? You know, there you had a, an entity. The Borg was an entity. You can't call it a civilization. It was an entity. Right. And, And it was all encompassing and it was supposedly the absolute smartest entity there was. Mm hmm. Okay. Go back and watch some of the Star Treks, you know, the next generations that featured the Borg. Or the smartest entity in the universe, they had terrible cable management systems. <laughs> they had wires and cables and hoses and these, this and that hanging everywhere. 
Well, that was because um, they were replacing human body parts with mechanical body parts. The Borg were uh, a, a combination of human and machine. Yeah, they but weren't I mean, just one entity. If you you know if you walk through the Borg cube, there was just cables hanging everywhere. I it was know, absolutely so the worst cable management I've ever seen. You didn't see cables hanging down on the Enterprise. No. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. But Elon Musk is very aware of the potential for disaster with AI if it's not kept in check from the word go. And that's wow. the problem because as AI is being developed, the the real tendency or – the the desire is just to kind of let it run. Yeah. We can't we can't really do that. No. We have to be ahead of AI. AI should become a servant for better, you know, better words. I'm sure there are better words, but we need to control AI or AI will be in control of us. It's it's an interesting conundrum, and as mm-hmm. AI progresses, of course, we'll keep an eye on it, but when somebody like Elon Musk, who owns an AI company himself, is saying right. it needs to be regulated, people really should listen. Yes. Okay, so over in the Israel-Hamas war, obviously there are uh, well over 100, uh, maybe 150 or so hostages that have not yet been released. And the one thing that Hamas claimed, of course, you can always believe Hamas, right? Oh, yes. The The one thing they claimed they were going to do was release women that they mm-hmm. had taken hostage. We haven't really seen much of that. No, they released a few older women. They released one or two or three younger women. The thing is... Today it came to light. One of the women released, and it wasn't shown when the the, uh, clips were shown. She was one that was repeatedly raped by Hamas to the point where her pelvis is broken. When she was released, she could not walk. They had to, I guess send a gurney or whatever this woman has been mutilated for life because of these bastards but this is not the only one some of the people that have been released are saying that after the um some of the some of them were raped they were shot up the vagina in the breast in every sexual organ there was to make sure they were dead. There was another woman released who said that she begged them to kill her. She could not take being raped anymore. And the reason you didn't hear these stories when they were first released is has now come out that the woman, the women were drugged before they were released and and even some of the kids they were they were and even some kind of the, kids, the kids were branded yeah but but I'm, I'm talking about the drugs yeah i'm talking yeah. about the drugs so they were drugged uh to calm them down uh as they were being released and really what what 
people that understand what's going on over there are now saying is that the reason we haven't seen more women being released is because Hamas literally doesn't want them talking about the way they've been treated over there. And when you hear stories like what Diane was just talking about, yeah, I mean, it, it starts to make sense that they don't want that out in public, which, and I, you know, I hate to be the, the forebearer of, of potentially tragic news, but if that is the case, and, and that is why we're not seeing them released, it really makes you question if we will ever see women released that were taken hostage by Hamas. I seriously doubt it. Um, there's always a case here or there, maybe of one of them succumbing to the Stockholm Syndrome, or they're going to c- complain and say, we didn't kill them, the Israeli bombings killed them. There's going to be all sorts of excuses made, but it has now come to light that the reason the truth fell apart is Hamas flatly refused to release any more women hostages. Well, and that was one of the conditions of the pause, if you will, was right. that they were going to release women. And that's why I say, yeah, you can always trust Hamas, right? You know, when they say yeah. they're going to do something, they always do. Um, and and they didn't. And so Israel yeah. said, okay, that's a, that's a deal breaker. Yes. Well, there's something very interesting that happened with all of this. It's these stories are coming out. We know that the United Nations refuses to condemn Israel. Mm-hmm. However, the United States, United Nations women's organizations also have not condemned Israel. Now, no, the no they have not or- condemned Hamas. Hamas, I'm sorry. Now, the National Organization of Women is not up in arms about what's being done f- to these women. Rapes happen in wars. We all know that. But this goes beyond rape. This is crimes against humanity. And I never in a million years thought I would say what I'm going to say. But Hillary Clinton came out, condemned the UN, and condemned Hamas because of the treatment of women, what she had heard about the stories. The first time in my life I will ever agree with with anything Hillary Clinton says, and probably the last time I will ever agree with anything she says. But even Hillary Clinton knows this is wrong. No one in this country is condemning. They're all sticking up for the Palestinians. I know, it's the most bizarre. Craig, before we went on air, a new figure came out. And you know how Moss is saying something like um, 15,000 or more civilians are being killed? Mm-hmm. Well, it just came out that over 5,000 of them were Hamas fighters. Go figure. Go figure. I mean, you know, look, Israel, in the last couple of days, they've ramped up uh, what they're doing in Gaza, okay, and rightly so. And uh, But yet, Israel is still telling towns and, and villages inside that zone when to evacuate. Right. Okay? 
there, there is nobody else. There is no country other than Israel that's going to do that. Yeah. You know, and and so all of this angst and panty wadding and gnashing of teeth over, you know, Israel's you know committing genocide. No, it's not genocide when you tell the people you are about to bomb that you are about to bomb there in the next 28 to 48 hours and they need to leave. That is actually the most humanitarian war effort of which I have ever heard. And they even gave the escape routes for the Palestinians to take that would be safe. Yeah. But one thing I just came across right now that was sent to me, if you think... What I told you in the beginning was bad about what they did to the civilians. The Israeli IDF women fighters that were killed, when their bodies were returned, they have been found with nails stuck up their parts into their uteruses, ovaries, etc. In other words, they were impaled. A bunch of sick bastards. And anyone in this country that sides with these people... Equally as sick. You should be ashamed of yourselves. You are pieces of garbage just like Hamas is. No doubt. No doubt. Um, You know, Israel's doing what Israel has to do. And I'll tell you, the quiet part of it that Mm -hmm. none of the mainstream media wants to talk about is the Arab nations around there are urging Israel to continue exactly as they are. Yes, and there's a reason for that, and I will get into that in my my segment, but there's a reason. The the, um, Arab nations don't want these people, and I'll tell you why. And and I've had a sneak preview of Diane's segment for tonight. You don't want to miss it. I'm just telling you, you're gonna get you're gonna get some insight and some knowledge from that. Now that said, I, I can also tell you that in my segment tonight, talking about the anti-Semitism with arrogance <laughs> and ignorance, I've got a little history lesson going in there too. So. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, this this is going to be a very important show. Finally, tonight, let's talk about inflation. Is it really backing off the way some analysts seem to think it is? Well, there are some analysts and some reports that have come out that underlying inflation pressure eased off in October. That is according to um, the New York Federal Reserve Bank. and But the difference is here, they're not talking about everyday inflation per se, because we personally see it every week when my husband and I go to grocery shopping, we're paying more for exactly the same things. So inflation is not lessening, let's say, in your everyday dealings. Where it's lessening is in interest rates for mortgages, long-term loans, that kind of thing. It doesn't really affect everybody on a daily basis. 
it's more important if inflation was lowered on the everyday necessities. Which it isn't. Which it isn't. And and even if you look at what you talk about, you know, the mortgage uh, rates and, and car loan rates and, and that kind of thing, while the data suggests it's backing off, and maybe it has just a little bit, it's mm-hmm. really not enough of a back off uh, for it to matter. Plus, right now, the Fed next week could very well hike interest rates again because right. interest, or I'm sorry, uh, inflation is at a rate of about 3.5, 3.7 right now. They want mm-hmm. it down to about 2, maybe 2.5%. That's not going to happen. No. And, but, it's but, not going to happen. But what the Fed does is they keep jacking up the interest rates to slow the economy down so that inflation comes down. Well, you know, if you, if you can't afford a mortgage on a house, you can't afford to buy a new car. And, and you know, let's factor into this, too, the idea that the Biden regime wants everybody to go out and buy an electric car, and very few people in this country are going to be able to do that paying cash, and those things are ungodly expensive. Right. You know, and and if you have to take out a car loan for that, you're not going to be able to handle the payments. A lot of people won't even be able to qualify for loans for that. Plus, heaven forbid, um, something as simple as a battery goes, you could be facing $20,000 for a new battery because a battery for an electric car is not like in a gas-powered car, a little, you know, self-contained thing you take out, you plop back in. It's basically the car itself. Right. Now, you know, here in my neck of the woods, a couple of weeks ago, we had a snowstorm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interstate 80 which goes all the way across the country, comes right through Nebraska. And out in the western part of the state, the snow came down so fast and so heavy, there were so many accidents on I-80 that I-80 got shut down, trapping Mm -hmm. people in their vehicles on I-80 with no way to get off for six hours. Now, if you've got one of these newfangled electric vehicles and you're already low on power just trying to get to the next place where you can plug it in, and hopefully when you get to that place, the plug-in things, I don't call them pumps, but, you know, the stations, will not have been vandalized so you could actually plug your car in and get some electricity out of it. You have to sit there in the freezing cold, for six hours and let yeah. your car run so you can stay warm. How is, how is this working for people? It, first of all, they're not working. Um, they're ridiculously expensive. They're not the kind of cars we're all used to driving. And the problem with electric cars is it is a mode of future transportation. But we don't have it developed enough yet to really be successful. You need batteries that are going to, say, last for a week, not for a certain amount of of hours or whatever. You have to make an electric car where the battery is not basically the whole car. 
you know, the only two things we're lacking to make it viable is the technology and the infrastructure. Outside of that, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Like our infrastructure is so great now, thanks to Biden. I mean, mean, and I say it sarcastically, folks. And by infrastructure, I mean, you know, how many places can you charge an electric car compared to how many places can you buy gas? And also how long it takes to charge an electric car. Some cars, folks, the ones that people plug in at their homes, take between 24 and 48 hours to fully charge. Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a year ago, uh, some people tried to make a a journey across the country in an electric car, and it turned out to be a giant debacle. Right. I remember that. Because they could only get about 200 miles, and then they'd have to stop for two hours to (laughs) recharge the car. And, And every 200 miles, there are not recharging stations. In some places there are, but I'll tell you what, in rural areas and rural states like Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, you know, I mean, you know, you're going to go a long ways between charging stations. And when you get there, if there's already a line of people waiting to do it, you're just kind of stuck. I think it's pretty much that way across the country, except for maybe major big cities. Yeah, Electric cars, they're not ready yet. The technology is in its infancy. It needed more time to develop, to work out the bugs, how fast they charge, how long you can go on a charge. We don't have enough power stations across the country. It's, It's not ready. And it's, it's not, not ready. And it's not green energy because the energy powering the stations where you recharge your car is not coming from wind turbines. Oh, please. That's just a joke. Folks, about 30 minutes from now, I'm going to be talking about arrogance, ignorance, and anti-Semitism. But when we come back from this bottom of the hour break, Diane's got it with Israel fighting a virtuous war. Stay with us. There's plenty more to come on Right Side Patriots after this. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk, where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take 
on News of the Day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. If you miss any part of tonight's show, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click that podcast button, and have at it. This show in its entirety and all the rest will be right there waiting for you. All right. Diane, both of us are dealing once again with the war, uh, Israel slash Hamas. Uh, Again, we've come at it from different angles, but both of us are providing a bit of a history lesson in our segments tonight. Yes, and let me begin by saying that when current U.S. actions are taken in regards to the Jewish state of Israel, most especially when said actions concern either direct or indirect monetary munitions or equipment allotment, said actions are not being directed by Joe Biden, but by his puppet master, Barack Hussein Obama. I cannot say it any plainer nor more directly than that. Also, let me state that the temporary ceasefire between Hamas and Israel was not simply to allow for a hostage-prisoner exchange, nor was it to altruistically allow for food, medical supplies, and fuel, aka humanitarian aid, to reach a group of technically non-existent people, a people ravaged by a war their own side started. All this, I believe, was but window dressing of sorts, window dressing pushed forward by the Israeli-hating UN and its allies, as in Obama and Biden, here in the U.S., to allow Hamas time to regroup, reorganize, and secure much-needed munitions and monies from their string pullers in Iran. For what is Hamas but Iran's proxy army dedicated to wiping Israel off the map? And while Biden seems to be mirroring Hamas's and Obama's ever-catering monetary ties to the world's leading sponsor of terrorism, the situation will surely not end well for Israel, at least not for the immediate time being. Why so? Because what was a true blood and guts war Israel was forced into now sees psychological terrorism coupled with innate savagery and unspeakable barbarism being Hamas's, hence Iran's, true calling card. And while it all began at a music festival and morphed into families being slaughtered, heads being cut off, people being burnt alive, and a baby cooked to death in an oven, the psychological aspects now in play regarding the hostages taken takes the very act of terrorism to a whole new dangerous and quite unequal level. And said level began with the U.S. Qatari Egyptian brokered ceasefire, which saw Hamas handing over to Israel a list of 50 or so names out of the roughly 250 civilians kidnapped on October 7th. And in return, Israel handed over to Hamas 
a list of some 150 Palestinian prisoners they would release and return, along with their temporarily allowing humanitarian aid trucks to enter Gaza. Simply a three-to-one prisoner exchange deal was agreed to, a deal which appears somewhat lopsided in number, but a deal made nevertheless. And that leads to the question as to why did Israel agree to such a deal? Why did Benjamin Netanyahu allow Israeli emotions regarding the hostages to simply overrule what appeared on the surface to be common sense? The true answer to said question directly lies in what separates the civilized man from the savage, what now separates good from evil and right from wrong. In that, Craig, you've got to know that the the civilized man values life itself, while it's the savage who values, heralds, and relishes only in death. You know, if you look at the history of the two cultures, okay, Mm There's a lot that you can discern about the future of the two cultures. Am I right? Exactly. And the difference can easily be seen in those belonging to Islamic terrorist groups like Hamas. Terrorist groups who deem martyrdom and death as their ticket to Allah an everlasting paradise along 72 virgins, while the Jewish people and Christians value life above all else. In fact, one of the most basic and guiding principles in Jewish law is that human life comes first, with the Torah teaching its Jewish followers that every human being is created in the likeness of God, and that God, quote, breathes within each and every one of us, end quote, making each and every individual, quote, a unique representative of the creator within his creation, end quote. To those of the Jewish faith, not only is the life of each and every person sacred and of, quote, infinite worth, but the Jewish sages of old taught that, quote, anyone who takes a single life, it is as though he has destroyed the entire world. And anyone who saves a single life, it is as though he has saved the entire world, end quote. This concept is known as, and please excuse my pronunciation, pikash nefesh, which means that the saving of life, even if it is only one human life, is above all else. In the to put these words into a mathematical perspective, most especially needed during this time of war, each hostage saved, according to Jewish teachings, is quote worth the entire world end quote. This alone, not threats from the UN nor from Biden slash Obama and crew, is why the Israeli government agreed to the ceasefire and the unbalanced hostage prisoner exchange. Simply, Craig, Netanyahu knows well that while Hamas gets back possible future terrorists, Israel, more importantly, gets back the continuation of its Jewish bloodline. And to the Jewish people, the bloodline of God's chosen people is prime above all else and must continue on, not just because it's been ordained by God himself, but because the civilized man deems it as well. So the Bible and the Torah, or the Torah and the Bible, putting them in the proper chronological order, 
are really kind of a guide to how to live and and how to live one's life. Right. Okay. And the valuing the, of life. And yes. the value and the value of life. On the mm-hmm. other side of the coin, we have the Quran, which to me is more of a manifesto of death. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. In fact, I'm going to compare those teachings to show how the Quran views human life. For examples, followers of what I call the political ideology known as Islam believe that Jews and Christians are but disbelievers walking the, quote, incorrect path, end quote, and that, that they must change their ways and accept Muhammad as the final prophet if they are to obtain their heavenly reward. In Islam, faith and actions go hand in hand, meaning it's their Islamic faith itself which drives Islam's followers to commit atrocities against those of other faiths, atrocities that the events of October 7th have shown to the world just how little Islamic terrorist groups like Hamas value human life. And while both Jews and Christians are guided by God's moral laws as laid down in the Ten Commandments, Islam's entire being lies with what's called al-Tawad, or I should say Tawhid, as in a, quote, oneness of God, as does their belief that there is no other God but Allah. Virtue and acceptance of others is non-existent in Islam, for Islam teaches hate, demands brutality and obedience of its followers, and deems martyrdom and bloodlust as things to strive for, and thus be rewarded for, as long as said bloodlust is committed first against the Jewish people, soon to be followed, Craig, by the Christians, both walking the incorrect path, according to Islam. So, given all of that and the history of the the Torah and the Bible as compared to the Quran, what can we glean from that as to why Netanyahu did what he did and went ahead and held this even brief pause in the war? Okay. Well, hopefully from what I just told everybody, you get some understanding as to why Netanyahu allowed this lopsided hostage prisoner exchange to take place. Now, when I was writing this article, which was Friday, December 1st, Israel has secured the release of 105 hostages. At that point, they were primarily women and children, including Israeli and dual citizens, as well as nationals of Thailand, Poland, and the Philippines, while releasing 240 Palestinian prisoners. Now, those numbers were according to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Now, sadly, As per an IDF spokesman, at least 130 hostages, including U.S. citizens, are still being held in Gaza, some probably continuing to be mistreated, not just by Hamas, but by the Palestinian people themselves. Why so? Because the anxiety of possibly being mistreated, which we know from those already released, did most definitely occur, equates to the terrified hostages' spirits being broken, and hence they are more easily kept in line. 
And this anxiety manipulation, what in reality is indeed a form of psychological warfare, in turn ups the anxiety level that the hostage's relatives already feel as they wait to hear who will be the next to be released or who has died while being held captive. And know that Hamas does relish in those most vile game they are playing, a game that revolves around not only the aforementioned Jewish belief in the sanctity of human life versus Hamas's belief that Israel, the Jewish people, and her future bloodline must be destroyed, but has now also become a sad game of Palestinian civilian collateral damage versus that of Hamas deliberately killing their own people as well. And Craig, Palestinian blood does stain Hamas's hands, for while Israel is striving to keep civilian deaths to a minimum, Hamas not only uses innocent Palestinian civilians as human shields, but also is refusing to let said innocent civilians who want no part of Hamas to leave Gaza City, even though they know that in the end, Israel will be in military control of the city. So we had a brief pause in the fighting. Uh, mm-hmm. Netanyahu uh, valuing life uh, and, and you know, the, the ability to maintain uh, the Jewish bloodline agreed to this rather one-sided prisoner exchange, you know, prisoners for uh, hostages exchange is probably the more Mm -hmm. accurate way to put it. But then it all came to an end, and I'm sure it won't come as any great surprise why it came to an end, because there's a long history of ceasefires coming to an end for this very reason. But what's the takeaway? What do we take away from the fact that Hamas broke yet another ceasefire? Right. Well, the ceasefire ended after seven days, ended courtesy of rocket fire from Hamas, along with what I exposed in the first segment, that they refused to release any more women hostages. So it's my belief that Hamas has probably released all the hostages that are still alive. And now they need to go back to their Iran-dictated mission of killing Jews. Most of the Palestinian prisoners they wanted have been returned, so for them, the hostage game is basically over. And while it's been reported that the family of the 10-month-old Israeli baby has been turned over by Hamas to Islamic Jihad, a terrorist group as vile, if not more so, than Hamas, some reports are saying that the family is now dead, dead at the hands of the Israeli bombing, according to a Hamas spokesman. And while I pray this is not true, as time goes on, the hope that they and the remaining hostages are still alive dims. And with the fighting between Israel and Hamas now having resumed, history again shows that negotiating with terrorists is never a good idea and rarely ends well. So I say no more ceasefires. Victory for Israel alone will end this war. And know that Israel that Netanyahu is planning for a long war, with the ultimate aim being to take out Yaha Sinwat, Mohammed Def, and Marwan Isa, Hamas's top three leaders, thus destroying Hamas's ability to ever again govern in Gaza 
to ever again kill Jews. Simply, it's time for Israel to finish the job. Finish it with no holes barred, even if it means having to turn all, yes, all of Gaza into dust. Hamas must be destroyed in total, or they will be back to try and finish what Hitler thankfully was unsuccessful in doing. And it's way past time for the Arab Muslim nations to start accepting the fact that the so-called Palestinians are of their own kind, the bottom of the barrel perhaps, but their own kind nevertheless, and start assimilating what they have referred to as being troublemakers back into the Arab lands. The land called Israel belongs solely to the Jews, always has, always will, and the two-state solution be damned. And not to be forgotten is that the war now being fought between Israel and Hamas is also a war between the civilized man and the savage. Hear that, Obama? Hear that, Biden? And especially hear that, you Israel-hating organization known as the UN. Hear it all and let the truth sink in. Case closed. I told I told you folks it was going to be an interesting history lesson, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I told you. Um, First of all, folks, you can get uh, this op-ed from Diane at her blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get the link. You can read it for yourself, and you can share the link everywhere, and I hope you do. Um, you know, when you, when you look, Diane, at the, at the situation as it existed on October 6th, mm-hmm. okay, there was a ceasefire in place. Israel right. had not been in Gaza in 18 years. Correct. Okay. Hamas had been running Gaza for 18 yes. years. And every and time destroying Gaza. And yes. destroying it in the process. Every time that there was a ceasefire, Hamas would break the ceasefire. Every right. single time, without exception. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they broke this little seven day pause should come as no great surprise to anybody. And yet those who are so pro Hamas in our own country fail to acknowledge the fact that this is the doing of Hamas, not Israel. Well, those protesting in this country, for the most part, are young people, college age, who have been indoctrinated by Israel-hating professors to hate Israel and to hate the Jewish people. Part of this is our own fault for allowing these kind of professors to teach They've allowed the indoctrination to take place. This generation right now will probably have to fade away before the indoctrination ends. Oh, I think so. I, I, absolutely, I think so. But our students aren't, being, aren't the only ones being indoctrinated. If you look at the situation as it exists in Gaza, in the Strip, okay, uh, the West Bank area, the Palestinians are doing this to their kids beginning oh, yeah. at two, three, four years old. They're teaching them to hate. They're teaching them to kill. Uh, right. You know, and 
while, while it could take easily a generation to get that out of our school system and our education system, it's going to take a lot longer than that to get it out of the system over there. Much, much longer because we already have two generation or generations over there that have been indoctrinated to hate Israel and at, hate at, Jews. At least two. At least. It's going to take much, much longer. I'm... T- <sighs> The whole dynamics of the Middle East is warped. You have tiny little Israel surrounded by over 100 million acres of Arab lands. I believe that's the number. Don't hold me to it, but I believe that's the number. The Arab, their own brethren, don't want them. They call them troublemakers. They know what they are. They know what's going to happen when they go into their own countries. Well, but they're going to have to take them back. But but I don't think they're ever going to. You look at look at Egypt. Okay, Egypt exists kind of on the southwest end of the Gaza area, right? Right. And the the only gate out of Gaza goes in. To Egypt and Egypt has had that gate closed for years and years and years because they don't want the troublemakers spilling in to Israel through the Sinai Peninsula. Especially because Israel, I mean, Egypt, I'm sorry, Egypt is one of the countries along with Jordan who recognizes Israel as the Jewish state and their right to exist. However, if there was change in Jordan, and we'll get into this with Mudar. If there was change in Jordan, Mudar knows, just like Abdullah's father knew, the Palestinians are Jordanians. Right. He will take them back into Jordan. Right. But even King Hussein, Abdullah's but King father. King Hussein won't. You know, I mean, King Hussein was Abdullah's father. Okay, mm-hmm. he, he didn't even want to take them in. He, he said, "Yeah, them. yeah." He was the one that expelled them. Well, mm-hmm. and and we can see why, you know. Yeah. Now, folks, you want to really know how bad it is? Okay, you can you can look at Egypt, you can look at Jordan, right? But even where other similar terrorist entities exist, where the Houthis are, right? Okay. Um, and and other groups uh, in Yemen, for instance, they don't want them either. No, I mean, how bad how bad do these people have to be before other terrorist harboring states don't want them? That's the problem. Israel cannot number one agree to the two state solution. No, the Palestinians have plenty of places to go. There should be no two-state solution under any cost. Second, the United States needs to butt out of how Israel fights its war. They should not be dictating. Biden slash Obama should not be dictating what Israel has to do to keep their country safe. Israel will not be dis- will not be totally safe until every Hamas fighter is dead. Well, and and frankly, and and you pointed out, you know, as you get down, you know, throughout 
really the op-ed, but especially when you get down towards the bottom of the op-ed, you point this out very clearly. This is a war between civilized people and barbarians. Yeah. Okay. So civilized not only and savages. Yeah. So so not only is Israel's future dependent on wiping out Hamas, so is the entire region. It's not just the region. You know, Hamas, this is also a religious war for them. You know, um, Islam versus Judaism. Well, folks, if you're foolish enough to think that they would be happy just killing the Jews because the Jews don't believe in Allah, you're horribly mistaken. Because after the Jews, they will come for the Christians next. And everybody else. And then... After that will be the Buddhists, the Shinto followers, the Hindus, I mean, straight down the line. The Hare Krishnas. wants to take over the entire world. And why they're so focused on Israel is because it has not allowed for the completion of the Levant. Right. You can look all that up. The <laughs> Levant is critical in Islamology, if you want to call it. They don't have the Levant. Yeah, and and let's be honest here. Islam really is an ideology, not a religion. Well, a political ideology, yes. Yeah. Um, You know, it's... You're right. It's, It's a mess over there. It always has been a mess over there. But the most stabilizing factor in the entire region is Israel. Right. It's the only free country. Yeah. Yeah. It, it you know it is the most free country in the entire region. It is the um, it, it is the center of stabilization for that entire Middle East region. It's a Western civilization. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation uh, over there, and it's going to stay that way for a long time, and that's unfortunate. Uh, BB Netanyahu is doing exactly what needs to be done. Unless Israel's hands are untied and they go and they just end this once and for all. Not one building should be standing. Nothing. I agree. If you want, turn it into a giant memorial park to show the horrors of war, but nobody should be allowed to regroup inside that territory. You know, once this war ends, and it's going to take some time, but once it ends, Israel is going to have to control that region for a long time. And the UN came out the other day, and, and even some American lawmakers came out the other day and, and suggested that the Palestinian Authority take no. over the region. No, 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 no. Absolutely no. freaking not. No. <laughs> While they are not as vicious as Hamas, they are not good and a good organization either. In in the 30 seconds we've got left, just bear in mind, folks, the Palestinian Authority pays people to kill Jews, to murder Jews. They pay people. Right. Right. Ridiculous. 
Israel Fighting a Virtuous War. That's the name of the op-ed. And you can get it at Diane's blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get your hands on the link, you can read the article for yourself, and you can share it everywhere, and we hope you do. With that, we have to take a top of the uh, hour break here, get a couple of station IDs in. More history coming your way in the next 30 minutes. My commentary, arrogance, ignorance, and anti-Semitism is coming up next. Stay with us. There's more on Right Side Patriot. Guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's longtime Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out The National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor, getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show. If you miss any part of it, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button. You can listen to all of this show or all of the rest. Mm-hmm. I'll get it up in the morning. All right, so you took on one angle on on what's going on over there in the Middle East with the Israel-Hamas war. I have taken on the angle of what's happening at home in relation to what's going on over there with a commentary Mm -hmm. under the title of Arrogance, Ignorance, and Anti-Semitism. How old is the average indoctrinated college student? Roughly 18 to 22 years old, maybe a bit older for post-indoctrination students. Well, that would make your average public education indoctrinee somewhere younger than that. It's important to understand when today's crop of indoctrinees was born. In the case of those currently in asylums of higher indoctrination, they would have been born around the year 2000. 
high school age indoctrinees would obviously have been born in the early 2000s. It's important because the propaganda they've been indoctrinated to believe stems from a history they never lived through, and that has been, I believe, purposefully ignored in their various indoctrination centers so that the mind-numbed knobs would have no point of actual excuse me, historical reference. And without a point of historical reference, the present can be easily manipulated. Here's what I mean. In nearly every pro-terrorist, pro-Hamas rally or riot we see on a campus across our nation, two things are front and center. That from the river to the sea chant and signs saying end apartheid in Israel. The end apartheid mantra is really nothing but propaganda derived from ignoring history. Apartheid references South Africa, Diane, which was a system of institutionalized racial segregation existing in both South and West Africa. It was characterized by an authoritarian political system, which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically and socially, along with economically by the nation's dominant minority white population. Well, there's a very key difference between the indoctrination against Israel and the indoctrination that also took place in South Africa regarding apartheid. And it's this difference of what's being ignored that fuels this whole hatred forward. I, I think you're right. Look, It's crucial for the purpose of this commentary to note that apartheid in Africa ended 30 years ago, many years before today's college indoctrinees were born, and long before indoctrination via propaganda was designed to mislead them for political reasons. Today's quote-unquote students did not live in the time of apartheid, nor were they alive when it ended. Therefore, they have no historical reference for it because their present has been manipulated through the ignoring of history. To today's students, apartheid is whatever their indoctrinators, whether in schools or via the propagandists in the mainstream media, says it is. Real history, the unmanipulated version of it anyway, makes it clear that Israel is not an apartheid state. Israel is the most free country in the Middle East. Israel has no laws that segregate people based on race because there is no racial component or difference between Arabs and Jews. Jew is not a race. Arab is not a race. Palestinian is not a race. Racially, they're all Caucasian. Are there laws regarding religion? Yeah, a few, including that any Jew from anywhere on earth is allowed to immigrate to Israel freely and the development of Jewish settlement as a national value. Israel, after all, is the Jewish nation state and was so established as such in 1948. 
Diane, it also bears noting that apartheid requires the minority to rule over the majority. And in Israel, Arabs only comprise 21% of the nation's population, and Arabs do have a presence in the Israeli government, the Knesset. And it's been that way since the very first Knesset in 1948. Well, I think maybe at this point it's interesting to note, and you should tell our listeners exactly how this whole concept of Palestinians Mm. got invented. Well, look, there's been plenty of panty-wadding and gnashing of teeth regarding Israel's constitutional laws that allow for the Palestinians to be moved out of certain areas, certain Palestinians to be denied entry into Israel, and Israel taking lands or property once owned by Palestinians when Israel was established in 1948. But it is also important to note that Palestine was the creation of of Yasser Arafat in 1967. Arafat invented the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. He did that in 1964, then invented the Palestinian people for the express political purpose of destroying a sovereign and legally mandated Jewish state. In fact, according to Palestinian historian Mohammadi Musla, During the entire 400-year period of the Ottoman rule, that would be 1517 through 1918, that's before the British set up the 30-year-long Palestinian mandate, quote, there was no political unit known as Palestine, unquote. Furthermore, up until the 19th century, the term Palestinian was used as a regional term, nothing more and it was only used to denote a region. Until the establishment of Israel as a nation-state in 1948, anyone living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea was referred to as a Palestinian, and that included Jews and Arabs alike. Until Arafat embraced the term Palestinian people in the mid-1960s, the Muslim Arab population in the region identified themselves only, only as Arabs, nothing more. That's a bit of real history, Diane, of which those who chant from the river to the sea are completely unaware because their indoctrinators and propagandists in the mainstream media have made a conscious effort to ignore it for the purpose of manipulating the present. Well, it would be interesting to know the so-called Palestinians, who are a non-existent people, folks, what exactly was their ties to a nation called Palestine that was never really a nation? Well, simply, there wasn't one. I mean, really, when you boil it down, that's it. Arab leaders in the region during the British Mandate years between 1820, I mean, and 1948, as part of the Ottoman Empire system, where the religion was the only socio-political order, had no inherent desire for or understanding of nationalism. Now, that means they had no interest in a Palestinian nation or the recognition of a Palestinian people because no such nation or people in socio-political sense ever existed. 
those who chant from the river to the sea or drone on mindlessly about the false notion of Israel being an apartheid state have been indoctrinated into believing the propaganda that Palestine has always been a nation unto itself and now needs to be freed from the control of Israel. It's nonsense. They've been indoctrinated to the point that they've taken up the cause of an international terrorist organization. Hamas, who the mindless knobs support, came into existence in 1987 as an arm of the Muslim Brotherhood, another terrorist organization. But even then, Hamas had no intention of Palestine becoming a nation unto itself. In fact, in 1996, senior Hamas leader Mohammed Zahar said, and I quote, Islamic and traditional views reject the notion of establishing an independent Palestinian state. In the past, there was no independent Palestinian state. Hence, our main goal is to establish a great Islamic state, be it pan-Arabic or pan-Islamic. This land is not the property of the Palestinians. This land is the property of all Muslims in all parts of the world, unquote. Allow me to address the occupation of the region. Today's propaganda claims that the Jews are the occupying force in the region that rightfully belongs to the so-called invented by Yasser Arafat in 1967 Palestinian people. Nothing could be further from the truth. We can easily tie the Jewish people to the region, now known as Israel, originally a much larger geographic region than was established as Israel in 1948, back some 4,000 years to Abraham, the founder of the Jewish religion. Diane, not only was Abraham named in the Bible, but also historically on clay tablets dated to around 1950 years B.C., regarding contracts between himself and the kings in Babylonia. Yeah. Well, that not only established a historical record, and not just a biblical record, but a tangible record that we have proof of through different writings, etc. I mean... Abraham actually laid claim to the land over 2,000 years before Christ was ever born. Right. Abraham, the first Jew. So these so-called Palestinians are just, they're clueless. They don't want to know history because history does not fit their agenda, which also goes to show what's happening in this country. students don't want to know truth. Exactly. They're ignorant of history because history, by their indoctrinators, is purposefully ignored to manipulate the present. Exactly. Abraham laid claim to the land of Israel 2,000 years B.C. 1,500 years B.C., Moses led the Jewish people back to the promised land out of Egypt. 
In about 1000 BC, historical records indicate that David became the first king of the Jewish people and established Jerusalem as the capital. Indeed, both written accounts and archaeological records, scientific artifacts even, create a historical record for the Jews calling the region their homeland for literally thousands of years. Yes, the Jewish people for thousands of years, were exiled numerous times by political forces, but every time they were exiled, they eventually returned to the land of the Jewish people, to the region that's not only a bit of history, real history, that we need to examine in all of this. As stated earlier in the commentary, Hamas was established in 1987 for the political purpose of destroying Israel and the Jewish people under the political ideology, not the religion of Islam. The problem for those who now claim that Israel and the Jewish people are the occupiers of the land that rightfully, they think, belongs to the so-called Palestinian people, it all falls completely apart when one considers the real history and timeline regarding Islam. Islam was invented by a pedophile, a self-proclaimed prophet, in the 7th century A.D. That's some 2,700 years after Abraham established Judaism and the Jews established the region as their homeland. Real history shows that the ideology of Islam as being an occupy or, or has been has been occupying Jewish land for the past 1400 years not the other way around in fact in 2005 Israel ceded Gaza and the West Bank part of Israel to the so-called Palestinian people to the actual occupiers the Islamists and in 2007 the so-called Palestinian people elected Hamas, the international terrorist organization, as their chosen government entity. Finally, let me address the ignorant notion that Israel is committing genocide, as so many on college campuses claim. Hamas declared war, breaking a ceasefire on October 7th of this year. Israel had no part of any control in Gaza or the West Bank since 2007. Israel simply complied with the desire for war that Hamas initiated on October 7th. As I already pointed out, it has always been Hamas and the ideology of Islam to commit genocide against the Jewish people, and indeed the ideology of Islam has, since its invention in the 7th century, that's been hell-bent on the destruction of the Jews, and for that matter, any ideology that does not conform to its ideology. Suffering the worst act of intended genocide in a single day since the end of World War II, Israel had simply and frankly run out of other cheeks to turn. And currently, they're giving Hamas and the Islamic puppet masters, Iran, exactly what they've been wanting, an all-out war. To claim that Israel, not Hamas, is engaging in genocide <coughs> is the height of arrogance and willful ignorance. But it's exactly what we should expect from those who've been indoctrinated rather than educated. As 
far as pro-Hamas protests and riots on campuses and our schools are concerned, it's proof of the intentional manipulation of the present by ignoring history as a result of the utter failure of our system of education in favor of a system of indoctrination. That is the bottom line. Yep. You can't say it any plainer than that. When you start indoctrinating people, any people, any age, but most especially young people, the idea that you are indoctrinating them with is so implanted in their minds that they cannot see truth. They blindly follow the indoctrinators. It's it's a sad but true fact. Yeah. You know, and, and when you look at it, when you actually pull back the curtain and look at it, what the indoctrinators have done, and, and this all comes from the left, all comes right. from the left side of the political aisle. What they have done is they have willfully ignored history so that yeah. they can manipulate the present. If you understand history, the real history of the Middle East region, the real history of the Jewish people, the real history of Israel, the real history of Islam, the real history of Hamas, the real history of the quote-unquote Palestinian people, if you understand those real historical facts, then the indoctrination is nothing but propaganda and false claims. Yeah, but when you turn the indoctrination into political discourse, it's harder to stop the indoctrination, if you exactly. will. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's 100% fact. Because yeah. if, if you ignore history, you can make these indoctrinees, these kids coming up through public schools and going to our colleges and universities, you can make them believe whatever it is you want them to believe. That is the manipulation of the present. These kids on college campuses and even high schools, I mean, let's not forget that it was about a week and a half ago at a high school in New York, of all places, the students trapped a teacher in an office and were threatening her life because she attended yes. a pro-Israel rally. Yes. Okay? You can make these indoctrinees believe that Israel is the occupying force. Israel, the Jews, have been on that land for over 4,000 years. Yeah. Islam is only a few hundred years old. Yeah. It's ridiculous when you look at the facts, when you look at the history, when you look at the truth. But even worse than these kids following it is that professors are teaching it and believing it when they know it's not the truth. And that's the point where they are pushing forward a political agenda and masking yep. it yep. behind yep. their indoctrination. They and are that's really very sad. It, well, it's sad and it's dangerous. They are not yeah. educators, they are indoctrinators. Yeah. They they're making a cult with themselves as a cult leader. You learn what I say you learn, I teach what I want you to learn, and there is no wavering. 
there's no well, well what if this happened or why did this happen you don't question anything you listen you absorb it it is cult-like this kind of indoctrination it, yeah. is cult-like in nature it, it is and really when you when you strip away all the facade from it okay you and i earlier in the show we talked about the fact that the you know hamas and you know the the palestinian education system is indoctrinating kids as young as two three four years old into into this cult of hatred this cult of murder that this cult of anti-semitism well are what our educators in our leftist-run indoctrination centers doing, whether it be in public schools or asylums of higher indoctrination, is it really any different than what Hamas is doing to the quote-unquote Palestinian kids? Really, it's not. No. They are actually destroying their own bloodline because... The civilized man is not going to allow for a whole new generation or two of terrorists. It's just not going to happen. Right. Netanyahu is not going to let that happen. Yeah. And it's sad that they've poisoned their own children. Hamas is the ones that are really responsible for any and all Palestinian deaths. Not Israel. It's it's plain, it's easy to see if you're not blinded by the indoctrination and the propaganda. Yeah. You know, it's I a mean, shame. It, well, it's a shame our kids, this generation of kids, never learn to think for themselves. Yeah, I mean, they're being told what to think, not how to think. And when to think it, and when yeah. to act upon those thoughts. It's, it's a dangerous situation, and, and it's... It's becoming more dangerous by the day. I mean, it really is. Arrogance, ignorance, and anti-Semitism. You can find this commentary on my blog, thenationalpatriot.com, or you can go to rspradio1.com. Either place, you can find the link, read the article for yourself, and hopefully you'll share it everywhere. For Diane's Mm -hmm. blog, you can go to thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com. But really, why not just make it easy? Go to rspradio1.com. At the homepage, these two articles are right at the top. Yes. Go to rspradio1.com. For a whole lot of things, you can get our commentaries and op-eds. You can check in on the daily news and find out what's the important stuff you need to know for the day. And you can check the archives and listen to all of this show or all of any of the others. Right. That's in the podcast section, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Well, with that, Diane, I know it's a couple minutes early, but what do you say we just close out the show for tonight? Yeah, I think we're both tired. We've had a long week. So with that, nighty-night, folks, see you on Tuesday or listen to you on Tuesday. Diane, this is uh, Tuesday. We'll see him on Friday. Friday. Oh, boy, am I tired. <laughs> and, and don't forget, folks, we've got Mudar Zakran coming up this Friday for the entire show, a perspective you won't hear anywhere else regarding the Israel-Hamas war. Make plans now to join us. With that, good night, everybody.